Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Alan, for working out all of the songs. Thank you for Pastor Tom for choosing those songs. I am Pastor Jason. And welcome to our live stream. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I have been, been waiting for this morning ever since last week. Why? Because we are going back to God's word this morning. And we are going to be looking at what I think is a topic that many people are, let's say, not just excited about, but many people have questions about, and that is God's will. So if you can, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to be starting this morning. Unless, as Brad said, it's afternoon or evening for you with verses 20 to 21. And, and as we turn there, let me just say a, a short word as to how God presents his will to us. I believe that many people look at God presenting his will to us as though he were some sort of slight in hand magician or something that, that he was trying to pull the, the three shell trick on us. You know what that trick is, right? Where, where somebody gets three shells and they put a ball or a quarter or something under one of the shells. And that would be represented, say, of God's will for your life. And, and he only has the ball or the quarter under one shell. And he, and he does this moving around of the shells. And then you have to choose which particular shell is the one that God has for you. And as you lift that up, oh, yes, praise the Lord. I, I, am, I am following you. I know that this is your will. And I believe because so many people have that perspective on God's will when it comes to making decisions, they, they look at making decisions as, as something mysterious and oh so difficult and, and even frustrating in order to discover what God's will is. And, and what we will see this morning is that is not the case from God's word. My prayer this morning is that as, as we look into the all-sufficient word of God, as we see from God's word what, what he tells us about his will, not only what his will is, but how we are to do his will, that this will be an incredible encouragement to you, that perhaps this will free you of the burden of decision-making. And you will be able to see that this is an opportunity when we are faced with decisions to trust the Lord and to walk before him side by side with him in his wonderful joy. As I believe that is the case that we see in the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18 verses 20 to 21, which we read here, when they, meaning those Jews, in Ephesus that are in the synagogue, asked him, meaning Paul, to stay for a longer time. He did not consent, but taking leave of them, getting ready to leave and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. What does Paul say? He says, if God wills, I will return to you. Let me pray for our time as we really need the Lord's help this morning. 
the Holy Spirit's illumination so that we can truly understand this important topic of God's will. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do, we bask in your grace. We have come this morning, each of us from our different homes, still in our different homes, me standing here in, in this church to honor you. We have come because we love you. Because more than anything in our lives, we want your will for our lives. We want to walk in accordance to your will. We want to do what pleases you. We want your desires to be our desires. We want the things that matter most to you to matter most to us. So, Lord, I ask that you would bless this time in your word. That all those that are home, that, that there are so many more distractions now being at home, Lord, that they would be able to, to stay tuned with what your word is saying this morning. That you would be able to draw them in and for the next so many 45, 50 minutes, as long as we are staying with each other, that you would drive them to your word this morning. That you would speak to them through your word that you would lay me aside, that you would make your word clear, that you would make your will clear, and that you would be honored, that you would be glorified above all this morning. For it's in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our, our risen Lord and Savior, that I pray. Amen. Now for me, as I, as I look at this account of the Apostle Paul, in chapter 18 of the book of Acts and, and see him in Corinth, first of all, and then deciding to leave Corinth and then go to Ephesus, land in Ephesus, stay in Ephesus, actually preach in a synagogue and then be asked to stay and then for him to say, no, I'm leaving, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back if the Lord wills. This to me is a, is a difficult thing to grasp. For, for as I look at this, I, I have to ask myself, well, well, Paul, how did you know that it was now time to leave Corinth? That's my first question. My first question is, how did you know that it was God's will, Paul, to leave Corinth? My second question, which, which to me is equally valid and, and probably even more dramatic in my own mind, is, is Paul, okay, so when you get to Ephesus, how did you know it was God's will to then leave Ephesus so quickly when you had an open door, when you had Jewish people in the synagogue saying, no, we want to hear more of this. Paul, 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 please tell me, how did you know? Because I know going back to Acts chapter 16, what do we see? We see that Paul actually, when he started this second missionary journey, after he'd gone to the churches in Galatia, what did he want to, what did he want to do? He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go to Ephesus. And now the Lord brings him there. And it looks like he's got a green light. But instead, Paul says, no, I'm going to cruise on. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my home church. And if the Lord wills, I will come back to you. How did Paul know that it was God's will in the first place to leave Ephesus? And secondly, 
How could God, how could Paul just trust the Lord that he was going to bring him back to Ephesus? And, and if he didn't, how was Paul okay with that? All of this has to do with how do you make decisions when you are faced with, with two seemingly very good options, right? He could have stayed in Corinth, and wouldn't that have been a, a very good thing to keep doing? Isn't that what the Lord had told him to do? Yes. And then when he gets to Ephesus, he's again faced with two decisions. Two decisions, neither of which seem ungodly, to stay in Ephesus and to continue preaching to an audience of unsaved Jews who no doubt Paul has a heart for that he wants them to understand the gospel. But instead he leaves. How did Paul make these decisions? More importantly for us, right now this morning, how do you make such decisions? How do you decide between two seemingly great choices? How do you determine where you should go? You know, it's almost comical because you know what Shannon, my wife, and I are doing right now? We are asking the Lord to reveal to us where we should go next as far as our present living conditions. We are considering purchasing a house. And so this has very practical realities for us this morning, in the last week, in the last couple weeks, as we are looking to the Lord to see, okay, what do you will for us? Lord, which house would you have us go to? Which house do you want us to buy? And I think so many times when we, when we think of God's will, this is, this is how we think of God's will. We think of God's will as being a bullseye on a target, right? And that what God has given us, he's given us one arrow and he's given us, given us one bow. And what we're supposed to do is take that one arrow and that one bow and boom and shoot. And hopefully we will find that target. We will find the bullseye. The only problem is how do you know that, that you're there in the bullseye or that you've actually missed it? And what you're settling for is second best or, or not the exact God's will, but something that's kind of secondary. And, and what I would like to present to us this morning is, yes, okay, if you want to think of, of God's will as being the bullseye, that's fine. But, but what I want to bring up as the illustration isn't that you have one arrow. And that you, that you have one bow. No, what, what we have, what we have been given by God's wonderful goodness and grace is, is, let's think of it as a crossbow. And you have a crossbow, and there's not just one arrow on it. There's five arrows. And the, and the Lord's going to allow you, through those five arrows, to allow some to fall this way and that way. And he is going to guide you by his wonderful goodness, by his wonderful grace, to what he has for you to that house that, that he would like Shannon and I and our family to live in. Why? So that we can serve him. And I recognize what a huge, huge topic this is. And for me to stand this morning and think that, that in, in, in one sermon that I am going to do a, an adequate job addressing this, I'd have to be crazy. I'd have to be insane to think that I could discuss this in all of its entirety. There's no way I could do that. For one, I wouldn't want to even try because this is something that, that continues to grow even in, in, in my understanding as I search the word. 
But I believe what is clear from scripture and what we see are there are indeed principles laid out for us in God's word that allow us to truly understand how we are to understand and to know the will of God, to know if this is indeed something that God wills or not. And so let me just throw this out as a disclaimer. My my end goal, my plan this morning is, is not to, to get into such questions or specifics as whether you should marry this person or that person, Mary or Martha this morning, Jimmy or John, whether or not you should become an, an electrician or, or you should become an engineer or a teacher. Why will I not get into those kinds of specifics? Because God's word does not get into those kinds of specifics. God's word reveals himself to us and his plan for us and his will to us in principles. And so that is what we are going to look at this morning. And, and I recognize that if you were to Google this and you went to Amazon and, and you just looked at Amazon and, and through in, in, in the search there, God's will, that, that I did this and there was over 10,000 books that right away showed up, a lot of them by, by good authors that, that you could look at, R.C. Sproul, you could look at John MacArthur, you, you could look at Kevin DeYoung, you could look at all these different books and, and you could read them and, and you would get a little different flavor and a little different feel, a little different taste for each one of them. And, and I, I am not this morning saying that, that I have the corner of the market on exactly what God's will is, but I do know from what God's word says that these are principles that we see clearly from the word of God. And so that is where we are going to go this morning. And I also recognize that as we, as we come to this topic of whether or not this is something that God has for us, what is God's will for us? That as you went to different churches, and you went and asked different churches, well, how do you determine God's will? You would get all sorts of different answers. And as we looked at God's word and as we gained different insight and wisdom from different folks, different churches, as to what is God's will, that they'd come back and, and there might be all sorts of different ways in which they would say, oh, this is how God communicates his will to us. And, and some would say, oh, well, Pastor Jason, it's just like the book of Acts says. And the way that God communicates his will to us, the manner by which God communicates his will to us today is no different than what it was back then in the days of the apostles. And if that is indeed the case then we would see that God consistently day in and day out would do the things that he's doing in the book of Acts. And if that were the case, then, then the litmus test that we, would, that we would ascribe to and that we would use in order to determine if this is God's will for our life what would be, well, if we were going to go to Acts chapter 1, we, we would use the casting of lots, right? Because that's what they did in order to determine who was going to replace Judas Iscariot as the next apostle. Right. And, and so then we well, we'd have to do that. And so if you're going to determine what kind of house you were going to buy, which house you should buy. Well, then you, you, you choose five, six houses and then, and then you just cast lots. If we're going to follow that measure 
or, or others would say, no, no, okay, well, well, let's go by the vision of Cornelius or the vision of Peter. And that that's how God is, is going to reveal himself to us. No, he does it through a vision. So if you want to become a missionary, then, then what needs to happen is you need to have a vision. And if you don't have a vision, then don't go to the mission field. Others would say, no, it needs to be in a dream. If God reveals himself to you in a dream, well then, okay, yes, then you know to go that direction. But what if he doesn't reveal himself to you in a dream? And it also says when, when, when it comes to what, what happened with Peter and the sheet coming down, is that in, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, after the sheet comes down, the Holy Spirit then tells him, hey, hey Pete, there's, there's some guys outside. Go see them, and wherever they tell you to go, just go with them. Okay, so maybe that, that should be the criteria. And if we use the book of Acts, or if we were going to go back into the Old Testament, and there, how did God speak? God spoke through prophets. And some would say today, oh, there still are prophets. And so before you can make a decision, you need to go find one of these guys and wait for the, the word of the Lord to come through them. And I would say that all of those means by which God spoke to his children, to his people, were legitimate means. That is the way that God spoke throughout the book of Acts. We have seen that. But that is not the only way that God speaks. In fact, we will see that that is not the common way in which God speaks. That is not the normal way. What we would say in theology, that is not the normative way. And in fact, Hebrews would say the same thing. The writer of Hebrews, what does he say? He says that, that, that back then, in, in those days, that God spoke through his, his prophets. And how did he speak? He spoke through them in various ways, in many ways, actually. And through many portions or practices. But now, how has he spoken? He's spoken to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to remember this morning that as we look at the book of Acts, we, we cannot use this as a prescription that every time that we're going to make a decision that, that it's going to happen the way that it happened to Paul as far as a vision. Because that doesn't happen to Paul all the time. Look at what we see here in Corinth. When he decides to leave Corinth, there's no talk of a vision. There's no talk of God coming to him and speaking to him. Why? Because that didn't happen. Because every time that Paul made a decision, that was not the normal means by which God led him. And that is not the normal means by which God leads us today. What we are going to see today in God's word is we're going to see five keys. Five very important keys in unlocking God's will so that we might understand his will. And when I say five keys, I don't want you to picture the small little lock to a, to a small little, I don't know, briefcase or a, or a small little treasure chest. I want you to picture a great big monster lock that, that has five keyholes in it that's going to take five different keys in order to unlock. And what that beautiful monster lock opens is a great big door that then opens to God's will. 
to the joy of walking with God and all that God has for us, for us as believers, as we walk before him and as we honor him and as we do his will. And if I were to ask you this morning, what is the most important key to understanding God's will, to following God's will, what would your response be? Would your response be, oh, it it has to be a, a, a knowledge of God, a knowledge about his will. No, Pastor Jason, it has to do with the insight that you have or or let's say your own intuition. No, no, Pastor Jason, it has to do with signs, that, that signs will appear and that will make it clear to you whether or not that is God's will. No, no, it, it has to do with wisdom, with discernment. And I would say, no. But what we see from God's word as, as what is absolutely crucial and important for us and what, where I want to start this morning isn't our knowledge about God. It isn't all that we know about him. It isn't all that we have read about him. It it isn't what we know. It isn't some sort of head knowledge of who God is because head knowledge is not enough. Where I want to start with this morning, the first key that, that we see in unlocking God's will that we must understand that it's not about our knowledge of God, but it's about who our God is in relationship towards us. It is about our relationship with God. And those are totally different. Yes, your knowledge of God, it does inform it. It does have all sorts of repercussions upon your relationship with him. But you can know about God, but never know God. Turn with me to the book of Job. This is such a sweet passage of scripture. I could have turned to all sorts of different passages. And we're going to go back to the book of Acts, but please turn with me to Job this morning. In Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6. And we know the story of Job, right? If there was anyone that needed to know what God's will is, it was Job. His his life had been racked. His life was in shambles. Almost everything had been taken away from him. And what he needed to know is, God, what are you doing? God, where am I to go from here? God, what is your will for me tomorrow, even today? I do not know what I am to do from this point on. And we see in the life of Job that that he gets counsel. He gets people coming to him, telling him, okay, this is God's will for you, Job. His wife comes in chapter two, and what's her counsel? Oh, she says, I know God's will for you, Job. Kill yourself. Man, stop prolonging this. Your life can't get any worse, so just end it now. Obviously, that is not the wisdom that Job needed. That is not the counsel that Job needed. He had some friends that came. And before we rip on these friends too quickly, do you, do you remember what they do with Job for the first seven days? They come to him and they see how miserable he is. And what do they do? They just sit with him in silence. Man, these are compassionate friends. These are loving friends. And then we see throughout the book of Job, not only that, these were theologically minded friends. They had an idea of who God is. And what did they do? They shared their thoughts on who God is with Job in order to make sense of Job's life, in order for him to truly understand what God's will was and is in all of this Job here. Let me tell you, 
But do you know that's not what Job needed? Job didn't need the counsel from, from his wife, which was ungodly counsel. He didn't need the counsel from his friends, which for most part was ungodly counsel too. What he needed was God himself. What he needed was to recognize what he has first and foremost that is of most importance is his relationship with God. And that is what Job learns. Look at Job chapter 42. And, and this is such a sweet and powerful testimony of the Lord's work in Job's life. Because he's heard everybody else speak. He's spoken back to his friends. He's spoken to God. But now what happens? God speaks to him. And this is Job's response when God speaks to him. He says this in verse 1. We're going to go to verse 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Yes, I know that you are all powerful, God. But it goes deeper than that. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Not only are you all powerful, but you are completely sovereign, God. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I did not understand Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Lord, I thought I knew about you. That's what Job is saying. I thought I understood you. And he's saying, whoa, I did not. And then he says this, hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard and, and, and listen to verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And as a result, therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. What is Job saying? He's saying, hey, before I heard it all, I had head knowledge of you, but I did not really see you and know you. I did not have this real personal relationship with you. And now I do. Now I understand. If I want to discern your will, if I want to know your will, where does it all start? It all starts with your personal walk with the Lord. Do you have that this morning? Do you even know what that is? Job came to know God better, but not about him. He came to know God better in a personal relationship with God, with the God of the universe. And I believe that this is such a key and important factor in discovering God's will that we must remember it that we must ask the Lord to keep us close to him, particularly when we are seeking him on decisions that now face us. Think with me for a moment what, what we were going through in the fireside chats, Psalm 23. We are now past that. But do you remember what, what Psalm 23 says? Many of us have memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. For what? For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, what is David saying here? He is not saying that you and I must understand God as the good shepherd, as the provider of us, as the guide, as the leader. 
as the restorer or even as the host of our own self souls but he is saying that you and i we must understand that this is a personal intimate relationship that we have with the god of the universe through jesus christ and as such he is not the shepherd he is my shepherd he is not the provider he is my provider he is not the guide he is my guide he is not the restorer he is my restorer he is not the host he is my host that is where david's heart goes and and, and do you know i i could have gone further back to show in god's word how important a relationship with god is in determining god's will i, I could have gone way before Job. i could have gone all the way back to the garden of eden and i could have looked at adam and eve in the garden and you may be thinking, well, I don't understand that, Pastor Jason. They had decisions to make? No, God just brought Eve to Adam. He didn't have to look around. He didn't have three or four different girls to choose from as to which one could be his wife. No, he, he had it much easier than me. No, he didn't have to make any decisions. Are, are you sure? Think with me for a moment. God places him in the garden. God gives him Eve. God tells them, okay, you can eat from any tree in this garden that you want to, except for that one right there in the middle. Anything else is fair game. The only prohibition, the only thing outside of my will for you is that tree there. Don't eat from that one. Do you think that possibly as Adam and Eve look around at all of this wonderful garden fruit, and, and think about it. Think about the, the guavas, the papayas, the kiwi, the, the figs, the papaya, apples, oranges. You could just go on and on and on, right? Don't you think they had choices to make? And don't you think at some point maybe they started second-guessing themselves, going, well, I, man, I don't know. Is today the day that we eat banana? We had bananas yesterday, but maybe God doesn't want us to eat bananas today. Maybe God wants us, maybe that's not actually what he wants us to do this morning. Eve, let's go, let's go talk with God and let's go find out. Let's, let's see, oh no, God, we want to do exactly what you want us to do, but we're not sure. Are we supposed to eat the, this, this wonderful fig today or are we supposed to eat the papaya? Man, I had the papaya a couple of days ago. It was really good. And then what's God's response? God's response is, you can eat from any tree that you want to except for that one. Enjoy yourselves, my children, and walk in accordance with me. And could it be that as they enjoyed this relationship with God, that God would then say, hey, Adam, which one did you try today? Hey, did you try those other bananas? You know, the little squish, squash ones that, that are really thick and red. Have you tried one of those? Hey, did you go over and try those different grapes over there? No, no, not the green ones. That, that perhaps that's the way that the relationship went between God and Adam and Eve in the beginning. So I would say that this first key in unlocking God's will that you and I, that we must understand is that God's will is based upon, it stems from your relationship with him. The fact that you know him personally, that you have a daily walk with God. And turn back with me to, to Acts. 
And, and what we see here, I believe, is the same thing with the Apostle Paul. What did he have? He had a relationship with the Lord. As we looked at last week, we saw three lessons learned from the Apostle Paul on serving the Lord, on being a faithful follower of the Lord. First, we learned that we are to expect opposition. And for Paul, when opposition came, he wasn't undone with that opposition, even though he had been given a promise from the Lord that he was not going to be harmed. Why is it that Paul wasn't undone? Because he knew his God. He knew that God was faithful, that God was with him every step of the way. And as a result of that, not only did he recognize and understand he was going to expect opposition, but he also trusted God's plan. Why did Paul trust God's plan? Because he had seen God's faithfulness time and time again. He'd seen God's presence time and time again. He'd seen God's protection time and time and time again. That all points to the fact that he had a relationship, a living relationship with the God of the universe that was a daily thing. And that relationship led him to become more and more faithfully devoted to the Lord. Paul was devoted to the Lord each day of his life. That is another lesson that we learned last week. Why was Paul like this? Why were Aquila and Priscilla like this? Because they recognized that what they had what was not a set of laws to follow was not a set of rules and regulations to align themselves with or come under, but what they had was a relationship to be enjoyed. They had a walk with the God of the universe that they spent time with him each and every day. And this brings us to what I believe is, is the second key that you and I must understand in order to unlock God's will for us. And that is seen in, in verses 18 to, to 22 in Acts chapter 18. And that is that God's will is something you must be committed to. We see this in the way that Paul lived. Paul, having remained many days where? In Corinth, longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila in Kentria. He had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. So we see here that Paul was committed to what? To his own will, to his own desire, to his own plan? No, he was committed to God's plan. He wanted whatever God wanted. And that's what he put first and foremost. Even if that meant leaving Corinth when things were going well. Even if that meant coming to Ephesus and, and having an open door and saying, no, I will wait until I know for sure that this is what you have for me. And so he cruises on and he, and he keeps going. And, and you'll notice that, that in this, don't you think it would have been easier for Paul to stay in Corinth just a little bit longer or to actually stay in Ephesus when he got there? 
What we see too, along with the idea that we must be committed to God's will is that we must be moving forward. That, that is what Paul was doing so many times when people consider God's will because they are not certain if it is God's will. They, they just keep sitting down in their chairs. Perhaps it was 10 years ago where the Lord started gripping your heart and causing you and your wife or, or you as a couple to say, man, maybe we should think about going overseas. And then you started second guessing this, second guessing that. No, I don't, I don't think that, that that could be the case. And before you know it, you turned away. And now as you consider Maybe the Lord was leading us. You see, it's much more difficult for God to lead you when you are sitting still than when you are moving forward, when you are trusting him by faith. Because that is what Paul is doing here. He is trusting him by faith. He's saying, man, I'd love to come back to Ephesus, but I don't know. Because I don't want to come back to Ephesus if that is not what God has. So I'm going to wait until God makes it clear. But I'm going to keep moving forward. Have you ever tried to, to move a car that has four completely flat tires? It is incredibly hard to move a car that has flat tires. Almost impossible. So much easier when you have power steering and all the tires are filled up. But very similar to, to riding a mountain bike, especially downhill. I don't know if you spent any time riding downhill, but, but me and my boys, we, we used to go mountain biking downhill up in Big Bear. And yes, it is this, one of the scariest things I've ever done, but it's also one of the most fun things I've ever done. And when you first go and you look at it, you go, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. Look at that. That's a great big five-foot berm. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? That is, that is like a 10-foot wall. And there are guys just jumping on that wall and riding that wall all the way down and jumping off the other side. And yet the more you do it, the more you find that this is so important in mountain biking, and that is that you keep your speed up. You don't ride your brakes. You don't slow down too much. You don't go so fast that you're completely out of control, but you have to be going pretty quick. And then when you're going fast enough, when you come up to that wall, that 10-foot wall that is vertical, you can jump on that wall and you can ride that wall and you can jump down that wall without ever sliding off of it. But if you slow down and you then try to jump on that wall, you're going to go about two feet and you're going to slide right off. It's very similar to what we see with God's will and the Apostle Paul. He is moving forward. You and I, we must keep moving forward and we must have this attitude that we are going to submit to his plan. Why? Because we must want what God wants, not what we want. We must desire what God desires above all other things. And this fits right into to God's, what I believe that the third key in unlocking God's will for us. Not only is it based upon our relationship with him, it is you must have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in order for you to discover, to understand what God's will is for you on any given decision. You must be committed to his will, not your own. And along with that, you must be committed to God's glory. You must want to live for his glory, not your own. The, the Westminster Shorter Catechisms, first question is this. What is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
In seeking the Lord's will for our decisions, we must have God's glory as our heart's desire. Jesus says it like this on the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Where Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hasn't become taste, sorry, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty? And again, we are to be the salt, but if you are not being the salt and you are now become tasteless, you are no longer pursuing God's will. You're no longer living according to his will. You are no longer to be a witness. Then what he said, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. What are we to do? What, what is God's will for us? It's not just that we have a relationship with the Lord. It's not just that we are committed to his will, whatever that be, but that we are committed to his glory, that he receives glory first and foremost. It's not about us. I believe going back to Acts that, that the Apostle Paul had that kind of mindset. That's what he was living for. That's why he would say, if God wills. And that's why we should say, if God wills, I'm going to do such and such. Because he wanted God to receive the glory above all. So when you think about considering whether you're going to move out of state, say to Idaho, as so many people are moving to Idaho. Hey, I recognize Idaho is a beautiful place. My wife is from there. But as you consider moving to Idaho, you need to ask yourself some questions, such as how will this move if I go this direction? How will this bring more glory to God? And, and one practical way to think about this is, hey, have you found a church in that particular area where you might have been given a job or a job offer? Well, that points back to the, to the very first key, your relationship with the Lord. How are you going to grow in your relationship with the Lord if, if there is not a solid church in that particular area? So that would be a very good practical question to ask. If I go this direction, will it bring glory to God? But how do you bring glory to God? How do you do that as, as far as your decisions go? Can you do that? What, what does God's will look like in reference to this idea of giving God glory? Well, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we see not only is God's will based upon your relationship with him, not only is, is God's will something you should be committed to and, and something that involves you also committing to God's glory, but we see that God's will is that you would become more like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And all I need to do is, is, is give the first part of the verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification 
The NIV says it like this. For this is the, the will of God is your sanctification. What is sanctification? That means your set apartness. Set apartness from what? Your set apartness from sin to God. And really what he's getting at is your sanctification whereby God through Jesus Christ and all that he is doing in your life is making you more and more like Jesus. That is God's will for you. That is God's will for me. My question for us this morning is, how are you doing with that? Do do you look more like Jesus today than you did last week? Honestly, how much are you like Jesus? Do you deliberately seek to imitate Jesus, to be like him? This is indeed part of God's will for your life, for my life, that we would be like Jesus Christ. And so when we think about decisions that that are facing us, whether we do this or whether we do that, we must ask ourselves, will this allow us to become more and more like Jesus Christ? Or is this putting us in a position that actually will pull us away from Christ? And if that is the case, then that is not the direction that you should go. And do you know what will happen as Christ lives in us day by day? And as we have rich fellowship with God day by day, he will change us. We will become more and more like Jesus Christ. That is what is happening to the Apostle Paul. As Paul continues to grow and to walk with Jesus throughout his missionary journeys, he's now done with his first missionary journey. What we've seen here is him wrapping up his second missionary journey. He's now been walking with the Lord day in and day out throughout all these missionary journeys from this town to that town, watching God work, spending time with the Lord in prayer, with believers being encouraged. And do you know what is happening as he does that. He is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is God's will for him. That is God's will for every believer. There's many things that I can't say. I don't know if that's God's will for you. This is one that I can say emphatically. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then this is God's will for you, that you would become more like Jesus Christ. And yet notice How how quickly did this happen for the Apostle Paul? Did this happen instantaneously back in Acts chapter 9? When when he met the Lord Jesus Christ in a flash of blinding light on the road to Damascus. Was it there an instantaneous, boom, he is like Jesus. He now has a deep, solid relationship with the Lord. No, this was something that happened over time. That was something that happened day in and day out as he spent time with the Lord. This was not some sort of instant thing that that happened to him. It was something the Lord was doing in and through him as he was obeying the Lord, submitting to the Lord. And then the Lord was causing him, changing him to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so then we see in that that, yes, Paul had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he walked with him day in and day out. But, but how did Paul know that it was time for him to leave Corinth? I would say that as we look at what is revealed to us in God's word, that Paul knew that it was time for him to leave Corinth because he was functioning in godly wisdom. He was walking according to godly wisdom. And that is the fifth key in unlocking God's will for your life. God's will for your life, just as it is that you are to be like Jesus Christ, that you are to be sanctified, that you are to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Another aspect of God's will, another key that fits into that great big lock and opens it up is that you would walk in wisdom. Turn with me to Proverbs. It's, it's where you have to go if you're going to speak about wisdom and you're going to learn about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, where Solomon is now going to share with his son of all the things that, that Solomon is encouraging his son to seek after. He doesn't tell him to go after the soothsayers, to go after some prophets and, and, and go ask them, hey, what is God's will for my life tomorrow and the next day and the year after that and the year after that. What we are going to see is that what Solomon pleads, what Solomon urges, what Solomon compels his son to do is to search after wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 to 6 where Solomon says this, My son, if you will, re if you will receive my words... Look, we see there that, that he doesn't have to receive his words. Solomon's son could spurn his words as we can do that with the Lord. And he says, and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, you lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So what, what the Lord is telling us through Solomon is that God's intention isn't that we would stay in the dark. He's not doing the three-shell game with us where we're supposed to just hope and stay in the dark until finally he, he reveals. No, he wants us to take his hand and to walk with him side by side, seeking his wisdom as if it were treasure. Notice here he, he isn't telling him to seek after what the, what the future is, which is what you and I, that, that's what I want to do all the time. Oh God, just tell me which house I am to buy. Just make that clear. Just go ahead and send me an email with a picture of the house. And God says, no, Jason, that isn't what I have for you. It, it would be neat if we had some sort of Bible crystal ball. And all we had to do is whip out that Bible crystal ball and then ask that crystal ball, that we called it a Bible crystal ball. So this is God's ball, okay? And we said, oh, please, God, tell me, show me which house I am supposed to buy. And we went, Malachazam, there's the house. That would be so much easier, but that is not what God desires. Why? Because he desires a relationship with us where we day in and day out, especially when we're facing decisions that we do not know where to go that we would then walk with him. 
if this wasn't the case, and that if God was like the deists believed, some sort of impersonal God that started everything and then just pulled away, then you know what would happen? Back in the garden with Adam and Eve, as God placed Adam in the garden, as he put them in the, in the garden there, God would have just said, okay, now you guys are good. Look, I, I told you what you should do, now I'm out. And then you never see God again. But that isn't how God functions. He wanted them to walk with him day in and day out, as was his custom in the garden. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know him more and more intimately. He wants his desires to become our desires, his thoughts, our thoughts, his ways, our ways, his affections, our affections. Kevin D. Young, who, who has a really good book on, on this subject of God's will, and I would encourage you if you have younger kids, even high school, college age, junior high, or for yourself as well. He's got a book that's like 140 pages, and his book is, is entitled Just Do Something. He says this in his book, along these same lines, with God desiring that his desires become our desires. He says this, God wants us to drink so deeply of the scriptures that our heads and our hearts are transformed so that we love what he loves and hates what he hates. And this happens as we walk intimately with him and as we spend time in his word. And as we walk in wisdom, as Solomon is encouraging his son here to do, there are three things that are involved in walking in wisdom. That, that I believe, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, that he was doing constantly. And that is searching the scriptures. That is seeking wise counsel, and that is praying to God. These are things that should be part of the whole process of us seeking the Lord and what his will is for a particular decision. How do I know that, that the Apostle Paul was searching the scriptures every day? Well, because he was proclaiming the scriptures every day. He was preaching all the time, and he was using scripture all the time. So he must have been studying the word. How do I know that, that Paul was a man of prayer? Well, I know that from all the epistles, all the letters that he wrote to so many churches. Do you know what he says again and again about those believers in those churches that he writes letters to? He says, I was praying for you. Constantly, he says that. And then we also know this. We know that, that God's word would lead us to the point where we should seek wise counsel. And I have to believe that when this whole decision was made as to whether or not Paul should stay in Corinth or go on, that even though Luke, when he pens the book of Acts, he gives everything from Paul's perspective. Paul is the main character. So he again and again always shows everything from Paul's vantage point. But do you think others were involved in this decision? And in this determining of whether or not this was God's will and whether or not Paul should leave Corinth. Well, yes. How do I know that? Well, because Aquila and Priscilla travel with him. So it isn't like Paul just goes up to them and says, hey, God told me yesterday that I'm to leave Corinth today. And he also told me, you guys need to come with me. We don't see that anywhere in scripture. 
What I believe happens is, is that not only did Paul meet with them, but he, he must have also met with his, his three buddies, with, with Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And they must, have, they must have discussed where things were at with the church in Corinth, how they were going to continue to look after things in order for Paul to feel that this was a wise choice and that this was God's will for him to leave Corinth on this particular day during this time. And as they met and as they gathered, no doubt they came up with the same plan, the same decision. And as they talked, maybe Aquila and Priscilla actually jumped up and said, hey, we volunteer. Wouldn't that be cool? And that would, that would fall so much into place with what we see in Proverbs 15, 25, which says this, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, I recognize we're, we're, we're already pretty long. Let, let, me just, let me just finish with this one verse found in Psalm. In fact, turn there with me because th this is a verse that you should, you should underline. Psalm. Psalm 143, verse 10. Psalm 143, verse 10. Again, a Psalm of David. Look at what David says about God's will and what he is pleading with the Lord on regarding God's will for his life. He says this, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Notice he recognizes, okay, you are my God. I am dependent upon you. So your will is what I want. Your desire is what I want. Your plan, not my plan. And two, I recognize you have given me your spirit. It is by your spirit that you lead me. And so I want to be led by your spirit. I want your will, and I recognize that your spirit is going to be the one guiding me to your will. But notice how he starts verse 10. Of all the ways to talk about God's will, look at what he says. He says, teach me to do your will. Not teach me to know your will. Isn't that Amazing. When what we want so many times is show me your will, right? Show me your will. Let me know exactly what house we should buy. And what David is saying, no, no, no. Teach me to do your will. I believe so many times we know what the Lord wants us to do. What we lack is the power to do it. The will to do it. The devotion to do it. And that's what we see in the Apostle Paul. He's willing to, to trust the Lord and to step out of Corinth, even though he doesn't know what's going to happen in the next days, in the next city, on his next missionary journey. But he's willing to step out by faith and trust that the Lord, by his wonderful goodness and grace, will continue to lead and guide and direct him. So what we've seen today are, are five keys which are useful in unlocking God's will for our lives that we must understand. One that is based upon your relationship with him. That God's will is something that you must be committed to. That God's will is that you be committed also to his glory, not your own. Fourth, that God's will is for you to become more like Jesus. And fifth, that God's will for your life is to walk in godly wisdom.
Now let me close our time with some points to ponder and, and you can get these off of the website so that you can consider these throughout the rest of the week. Number one, consider how Paul entrusted his future plans to the Lord. His chief end was to do God's will, but he also kept moving. Do you find yourself entrusting your plans to the Lord? Why or why not? And a follow-up, and are you moving forward in obedience, expecting God to reveal himself to you? Number two, consider how Paul was willing to wait. He didn't know if he would return to Ephesus or not, but he was fine with putting his future in God's hands. How about you? Are you willing to take a step of faith, trusting that the Lord has you? And that he will continue to have you as you submit to him and walk before him. And number three, consider how for Paul doing God's will and knowing God's will was based on his relationship with God. Do you need to know more of God this morning? Do you need to know him more fully as Job needed to know him more fully? As the apostle Paul kept knowing him more and more fully throughout his different missionary journeys. And as he walked with him day by day, are you growing? Do you know him more fully, more deeply than you did last week, two weeks ago, last year? Or are you finding yourself in a stagnant place? Then pray to the Lord that he would help you in this. Let us close our time with, with a song that our God is sovereign over us. Such a, a good reminder as we consider God's will. That there, there are two aspects of, of God's will. One is his sovereign will. That part of his will is unchanging. There is nothing you or I can do to change his sovereign, his definite, his purposeful will. What is also called his absolute will. This happens no matter what, but there is also a part of God's will that is called his revealed will or his, or, his reveal, or his moral will. And that is something that is free to happen or not to happen. This is the will of God expressed towards us in which we play a part in doing and being involved in. And that is what we see in the life of Paul, that he was involved in going forward, trusting the Lord. And no doubt as he trusted the Lord and left Corinth and then left Ephesus, he was recognizing above all that God was sovereign. So Amen to that. Let's pray together, shall we, as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are indeed sovereign over us, over every aspect of our lives, even in those valleys that some of us are in right now where we feel like we're close to the shadow of death, where we feel like we're in the midst of crossroads, making really, really difficult decisions. Even in those valleys, Lord, you are faithful. Please help us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, Lord, and pleasing you in every way. And we realize that's through a lifestyle of worship, as we learned in our last series, to make every thought, every breath, every decision based upon our relationship with you and knowing you more and becoming more and more like Christ, as Jason said, sanctified by your Holy Spirit and walking every day, just, just thinking of you, just 
taking time to process that what we're experiencing is truly a gift from God. Your plans are always for us, not against us. So thank you for your sovereign will. And even those little decisions that we have to make, like what house to buy or who we're going to marry or what job to get or which car do I get, Lord, those all fall into place when our relationship with you is right on. So we, we trust you. We pray that you would draw us into your spirit, in your will, so that we're standing right in the middle of that street light, that glow of your will, so that when everything else is gone and stripped away, we hold on to Christ. So give us, Lord, a great week as we continue to meet together via Zoom and as we ponder these points to ponder that Pastor Jason has given us. We ask these things in the wonderful name of our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, and uh, do stay healthy. Do you also remember that this week we have a lot going on at the church through links for community groups. And if you haven't joined a community group, feel free just to click on any one of those Zoom links and, and hop right in. We'd love to see you in these groups. And also our Wednesday night prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. We meet each Wednesday to pray for one another, to pray for the body. So join us then as well. So we ask that you guys just stay safe, stay healthy. This is Pastor Tom signing off. Grace and peace to you.